Good morning, Orangewood. If you'd remain standing as we read Jesus' words for who has the well-off life. And this is Jesus' invitation for us this morning. Please follow along as I read. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before you take a seat, would you pray with me? So gracious Father, send your Holy Spirit to teach us. Uh, Use these weak, feeble human words to come in power in the lives of your people, to encourage us and convict us, to point us to Jesus and the truly blessed life in him. We pray this in his name, and everyone said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, uh, if you're a guest with us today, I'm really glad you're here. We have been in a sermon series uh, looking at what does it mean to be truly blessed? Uh, Who has the well-off life? And, and, And Jesus uses this word this Greek word, makarios. Uh, It is a word we find in our passage. Uh, In the ancient literature, uh, makarios uh, really meant deep, abiding happiness, everlasting happiness, Uh, not temporal happiness, uh, like when we get a new iPhone or when the University of Miami loses a football game. Um, Too soon? too soon. But true abiding happiness for life, makarios. And and this, this kind of life is available to you and to me despite the circumstances and situations we may be facing this morning. Despite what we walked into this room with There is this kind of life available to you and me, a way of life to know the good, to experience a sense of flourishing in your normal, ordinary life, day in and day out, no matter what you face. Uh, Every time, even in the moment, uh, when kids are, are screaming at each other, Uh, in that moment where you are having to study for an upcoming exam, when the stock market is up or down, or really down. When the doctor wants you back because something showed up in the scan from the test. 
Or on the other end, when you get promoted and you now have more money than you know what to do with, wouldn't that be nice? In every circumstance that you and I face, right in the middle of it, how do we have a soul that experiences makarios? That word is used multiple times in this section of Jesus' sermon. And it's the word blessed. It's the word for happiness or flourishing. Who is truly blessed? And what we must reclaim is the power of this word and what it means to follow Jesus in our great city of Orlando. Because the reality is, Jesus did not just come to die on a cross. As important as that part of the gospel is, it would not be salvation without it. But the Apostle Paul said this, he said, uh, I seek to know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified. We must know this piece of the salvation. Uh, But connected with that is this reality we must understand about Jesus that he wants to speak to all of human life and what it means for human flourishing. Put another way, the church at times has set up its storefront only to answer questions about what happens when you die, though those are important. But we've abandoned the discussion on whether Jesus came to teach us how to live in this life. To live life with God, under his kingdom, under his care, under his rule, right here, right now. Jonathan Pennington uh, writes about an excavation um, that they did in modern day Syria. Uh, It's an excavation of the ancient city of the Dura Europas. Uh, This city uh, of people, this civilization lived about 1800 years ago. And around 1956 A.D., or sorry, 1956, 256 A.D., they were, that was a bit off, 256 A.D., uh, they, uh, they were attacked uh, by a, a surrounding civilization. And in the midst of the attack, the only thing this group, the Dura Europas, knew what to do was to take all the stuff in their house, all of the artifacts, all they had, and put it up against the fortress wall to help barricade this attack. Unfortunately, the, this, this surrounding army was able to get in. It destroyed, it killed every person in it. Uh, but it didn't take anything from the, the community. It, it just continued on in its conquest. And it wasn't until after World War I they happened upon this in an excavation. And they, they've been uh, going through all of the various sites and uh, the various artifacts that they found buried up next to that fortress wall. One of the things they found was a painting that they believe was from one of the ancient churches in this community. This was a very uh, pluralist community of different churches and synagogues. But this is the painting that they found. And it's a picture of Jesus healing the paralytic from Mark 2. And here's what I want you to notice. What's interesting about this painting. Notice Jesus. Notice he is depicted as a philosopher. He's wearing the telltale philosopher's robe. 
He has the haircut that indicates his status as a philosopher. And he has the posture in the painting as a philosophy teacher. And I bring up this picture to remind us that the ancient church believed Jesus came to not only show us how to live after we die. Jesus came to show us how to live while we live. He wants to speak to all of our life, including you right here today, as our sermon series is called Blessed, because Jesus wants to invite every one of us to follow him and to learn how to have a truly blessed life. How how do we experience the good life? Jesus wants to help us if we will listen and if we will follow him. Jesus has been talking uh, over the past couple of weeks about what it means to tru- be truly blessed. If you're here today for the first time, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. Uh, we also have a free notebook uh, in uh, our lobby for you after the service. Please, please take that. I encourage you to go through it with us. But today we receive the next marker and characteristic of the truly blessed life. Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Jesus tells us, blessed are the meek. This is an invitation from Jesus that flies right in opposition to much of what we hear today in our culture about who is really living. uh, Who is coming out on top. And you'll hear various phrases about this uh, that kind of go along with who is uh, succeeding or coming out on top. You'll hear someone say, to the victor go the what? To the victor go the spoils. Uh, Only the strong survive. Uh, 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 Nice guys finish where? Last. Nice guys finish last. Uh, To quote the esteemed theologian, the wrestler, the nature boy, Ric Flair. To be the man, you got to what? Anybody know? Beat the man. Beat the man. He would go on to say, quote, I'm Ric Flair, the styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling and dealing, son of a gun, end quote. Jesus says, it's not the styling and profiling who have the truly blessed life. It is the meek. But what is meekness? What is meekness? That's our first question. And what we see in this word meekness is it's defined and has various other connections to various words like kindness and gentleness. The Greek word for meekness has close connections to the word for humility. In ancient literature, what we see is meekness carried with it this idea of power under control. Uh, several images from ancient literature kind of talk about uh, the idea of a place to see meekness is, is, a, is a colt or donkey that's been broken in. Because if you've ever seen a, a colt or donkey uh, before they've been broken in, it's chaos. It's, it's power out of control. You know, an image I think of is at the very end of uh, the Indiana Jones uh, 
uh, the last crusade, uh, the third one, uh, the best one, by the way. Um, at the end of that movie, uh, they're all outside of the temple of the Holy Grail. They're on horses together. And uh, Marcus Brody, Indiana Jones's friend, uh, says, uh, Indy, Henry, follow me. I know the way he takes off, but his horse is out of control. It's, it's gone. They have to chase after him uh, to locate him. This is an example of power out of control. Meekness is power under control. You see, meekness at times in our culture has been connected with just being weak. But the strongest people are weak. They, are, they see the brokenness of our world, but they refuse to join in with the world's ways of dealing with it. Meekness is power under control. John Piper put it this way about meekness. He says this, Meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. What we might not recognize or realize in our passage in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is alluding to and echoing Psalm 37. And in this Psalm of David, we read this. It says this, But the meek shall inherit the land, and delight themselves in abundant peace. Uh, Jesus knew that his listeners would have known about this psalm as he said these words in the Sermon on the Mount, that they would have known this echo to Psalm 37 and the characteristics that we find there of meekness. Meekness is marked first by a letting go of fretting. This is what we read in Psalm 37. Fret not yourself, It tends only to evil. Question for you today, how are you doing on fretting? Do you find yourself up at night, unable to sleep, thinking and fretting over something? Maybe something someone said or did. Maybe you just sit there and you're trying to go to sleep, but, but you fret and stew. And it's 2 a.m. in the morning. Have you noticed this in yourself? Whether it's true or not, we sometimes just get caught up in our own story of what we imagined, even if it wasn't true. And we just sit there and fret. I heard a pastor one time, he was asked by a staff member on his team one day. The staff member just came in and said, hey, Paul, how are you doing? And Paul said, I'm doing okay Uh, But I'm trying really hard to take everything personal today. I love that. We fret, we stew, even unintentional things that happen with others. And and we misread the situation. We kind of get worked up in the moment. This happened last week. Emmy, um, she made a comment to me. Um, In the moment, you could tell it was kind of a joke, but I wasn't sure. But but the whole week went by and I just stewed on this comment. Oh gosh, I'm an awful parent. What's wrong with me? And so I sit her down yesterday and I'm saying, hey, Emmy, um, hey, you made this comment. I just want to make sure everything's okay. And Emmy's like, dad, it was just a joke. And of course, I was like, yeah, it was just a joke, but I just fretted and stewed all week. How about you? We give into cynicism and agitation of how life is not working out as we thought it would, and it robs us of the joy available here with God. So the meek are letting go of fretting. Second, 
Meekness is letting go of jealousy. Look at Psalm 37 again. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Meekness is marked by an ability to let go of jealousy, of what others have, of what we don't have. It is so easy to compare. And I think especially in Orlando, because it just feels like you are encountering people all the time who just have more than you. Do you feel that way? Uh, They're more successful than you. They're more attractive to you. Their life seems to be working out better parents than you, a better leader, a better spouse, a better preacher. I mean, all these things, maybe not the preacher for you. But we struggle with every last one of these. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the great 80s iconic film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anyone hasn't seen that movie? Most people have? Okay, so if you haven't seen it, uh, uh, it's a story of a high school student named Ferris Bueller. And Ferris, um, everything just seems to work out in his life, right? I mean, uh, he, he's got his parents full. He's got all the, the teachers full. I mean, he's living his best life, um, coming up with excuses for why, why he is sick. And, and, uh, but there's, there's a couple people who are on to him. Uh, if you remember in the movie, there's, there's Principal Ed Rooney. Ed Rooney. Ed Rooney is on to Ferris. Uh, Ferris's older sister is on to him. She knows what he's up to. Uh, but the movie is interesting because it highlights what happens when we allow jealousy to take root in our hearts. Uh, it, it basically, you see the, the evolution of Principal Ed Rooney. By the end of the movie, he is a shell of himself because he spent all of this time trying to catch Ferris in the act. His life is consumed with why does he keep coming out on top? And so we find ourselves even in that situation as well. Friends, who is Ferris Bueller in your life? Every time you hear about their latest success, their latest promotion, their latest victory, you find yourself feeling some anger and some agitation. Who is Ferris for you? You see, the comparison game will always be a coffin. It will always be a coffin. Uh, Jealousy exists in all cultures, but especially here in Orlando. Because it's meant about coming and and being shiny and put together. And we just drive more and more jealousy. Are you letting go of Ferris? Third, Psalm 37 tells us meekness is marked by letting go of rage. Uh, look Look at this again, Psalm 37, 8. It says this, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. The meek are letting go of anger, rage, and revenge. Um, Have you heard the expression, two wrongs don't make what? A right. this, This is what we can sometimes be deceived into believing is because of what they have done, what they did to me, I will take part 
and what they have done as well through anger, rage, and revenge. I think of the classic story of Samson uh, in the Bible. Uh, We read about it. Uh, Don't turn there, but the story is in Judges 15 if you want to write that down. And Samson, uh, we find in the story, he, he's been married. Uh, he, uh, he's been away from his wife for, uh, for some season of separation, um, but he has returned home to her. And in the process of turning, returning home to her and to be with her, uh, in that culture, he'd brought a young goat to give to his father-in-law. And in giving that young goat, he asks, where, where is my, where's my wife since I've been gone? And the father-in-law shares with Samson, oh, I'm sorry, I gave her to your companion. Uh, but we find out just a little bit earlier in Judges 14, uh, the, the dad didn't just give Samson's wife to any companion. We read that he gave her to his best man from the wedding. I mean, folks, it's days of our lives. And Samson is filled with rage. I mean, he's filled with rage. Uh, In in the story, um, we see that this leads to the very next situation with what, when anger, rage, and revenge metastasize in our souls, that revenge always escalates. Haven't you noticed this? Revenge always escalates. That when we become consumed with rage and jealousy and anger, it always escalates. And so in the story of Samson, Samson, after hearing this news, goes out to the crops. They're about to celebrate harvest, which was a very big moment in ancient cultures. He goes out and he sets all their crops ablaze. And he just sits there and watches it. Just watches it all burn. And in response to that, because revenge always what? always escalates. The, the, the Philistines now come to the father-in-law and, and Samson's wife and say, you caused this. You, you brought this on our entire civilization. And so the Philistines kill the father-in-law and Samson's wife because why? Revenge always escalates. By the end of this story, we see Samson has taken a donkey, a dead donkey's jawbone that was laying on the ground, and he's running around just killing people everywhere he goes because why? Revenge always escalates. We see this in sports all the time. I mean, every sport has this, but let's just take baseball for right now. Um, there, 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 there's a pitcher, he's got a batter, and he, the pitcher throws a hanging curveball, and the batter just crushes it, into the upper deck for a home run. Now that batter could just walk around the bases quietly. He could, he could set his bat down on the ground, make nothing about it, just take his bases. But no, 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 what's the batter do? He, he, he does the bat flip um, up in the air as a boast. He's talking trash as he makes his way around the bases. Now the next time that that batter is up, does the, does the pitcher just let it go? No. Because revenge always escalates. And so that pitcher throws his fastest fastball as hard as he can to pelt that person in the body. And after he pelts that person in the body, the, 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 batter, uh, the batter then goes, hey, listen, hey, pitch, my bad. I didn't mean to bat flip. 
I, I didn't mean to taunt you. I, I didn't mean, it's, it's all on me. It's my fault. Is that what the batter says after he gets hit? No, because revenge always what? Escalates. So he takes off running for the pitcher's mound in an all-out brawl. And is the brawl always only between the pitcher and the batter? No, because why? Revenge always escalates. The, the, the bench is clear. There's people running in from the bullpen. Revenge always escalates. Have you noticed this in your own life? Uh, you have a disagreement with someone. You don't notice that the volume of your voice is rising. You don't, you don't notice that the words that you're using are becoming more and more hurtful. And for some, it means that you're lying down in a bed staring at a ceiling, unable to talk to the person sitting next to you, wondering, how did we get here? Rage, anger, revenge, because revenge always escalates. The meek are able to let go of rage. They're able to let go of whatever it is that has them under their control, no matter what they've experienced, the meek are trusting God to defend them, trusting God to deliver them. The meek are handing over the issues of their life to God, the fractured relationships, the slander in the office, the things that have happened that they cannot go back and change. The meek are trusting God with their lives. Look at this verse, the promises from Psalm 37. It says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth righteousness as the light, and as your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Friends, you are invited to be still and wait patiently for God to deliver you. You might be thinking, Tyler, you don't know what they did. I don't. But Tyler, you don't know what they said. I don't. But Tyler, you don't know what it would mean if I let it go. That means they win. It leads us to our second question. What, why do we need meekness today? Why do we need Jesus, the greatest philosopher to ever live? Why do we need him to remind us of meekness for our own day? It's because culturally, you and I are being pulled into this motto. It is the aggressive, the strong, the driven, the deceiver, the manipulator, the backstabber, the selfish, and the proud, not the meek, who will inherit the earth. You and I are breathing in cultural air that we have to look out for ourselves because no one else will. And that will embrace the rage and the jealousy is what we will find in our world. If I only will pursue this, if I only would have this, then I would have the good life. But what we find from Psalm 37, it's just the meek who find this peace. It says this, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Who is finding the good life? Who is truly blessed? The meek will delight themselves in abundant peace. You see, today we need this meekness culturally. 
Because it's not only looking out for ourselves. Now we live in a culture because of social media that everyone wants to tell you about their grievances with the world. Helen Lewis wrote an article recently in The Atlantic and she talked about how the new religion in America is social justice and the many virtue signalers looking to help you out with your issues. And so the far left and the far right have driven our culture further and further into a divide politically and the thing we are missing the most is meekness. There was a uh, comical meme that came out on social media recently, ironically about social media. And it says this, how social media works. Me, quote, I prefer mangoes to oranges. Random person commenting on my post. So basically what you're saying is that you hate oranges. You also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruits. Educate yourself. Anyone feel like that's your experience on social media? It's just like, whatever you say, it's, someone's going to attack you. Friends, we need more meekness culturally. But secondly, we need more meekness personally. And here's what I know. If I buy into the lie that I must watch out for myself, what we'll find is that jealousy, rage, and revenge don't just stay thoughts. They become more and more who we are. There is a person that we are becoming. Uh, The devil, he he knew this. The way he tempted Jesus is he came to him with thoughts and ideas about how to live life. That the devil knew that ideas are like weeds that grow inside of us and they can grow very, very fast. And the devil knew that the power of ideas was that they don't just stay ideas, they become identities. Uh, Dr. Eric Fromm, who lived during both world wars, um, basically lost his faith through the experience of the racial uh, tension uh, of the time. And after researching Nazism for years, he came to the conclusion that people become evil, quote, slowly over time through a long series of choices, end quote. That the thoughts that we allow in of rage and anger and revenge become not ideas, but our identity. John Mark Comer put it this way in his book, Live No Lies. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. When we allow power or control in our hearts, pride, jealousy, envy, revenge, they slowly begin to take over us. And friends, Jesus wants to save us from ourselves and from the lies that we have bought into and learn to follow him in meekness and find delight in abundant peace that is available to us. So you may be wondering, what is the path to meekness? That's our final question. And we see several Psalms that point us to God's path to meekness. Look at Psalm 25. It says this, He leads the meek... He leads the meek in what is right and teaches the meek his way. God tells us about the path of meekness is towards what is right, to find what is good, to embrace and become the kind of person from the inside out who is able to let things go, who is able to put down the jawbone 
of affliction like Samson, who is able to live with power under control. But what is the way? What is the path to meekness? And we read this in Psalm 149. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the meek with salvation. The path to meekness comes when we see our salvation and our deliverance come from God. What we see is that God is not distant from us, but that Jesus himself had become meek for us. That he trusted in God to deliver him. He trusted in God to vindicate him. He didn't have power out of control like Samson, but Jesus allowed the ultimate evil and injustice to destroy him because he knew that his God would resurrect and restore all the brokenness in our world through him. You know, you got to look at Jesus' meekness on the cross. Jesus didn't cry out and say, God, kill them. Uh, Jesus didn't say, Father, destroy these little rats. Jesus, in the ultimate moment of injustice in our world, ever, in that moment, Jesus said, Father, what, forgive them. Forgive them. On the cross, Jesus was offering every person not only an example of how to be meek, but Jesus was offering every person a picture of their salvation. That we could see how much pleasure God truly takes in us that he would die to set all things right between us. And because of that, we trust that God will vindicate us in our broken relationships to set things right for us amidst the slander and the accusations we may have experienced, that the things that keep us up at night can be released and handed over to this God who is good and who will set all things right in the end. Jacques Philippe put it this way in his book, Eight Doors of the Kingdom. He says this, Human justice cannot resolve all the world's problems. Only the madness of charity will get to the bottom of evil. Only an excess of love can save the world. Friends, would you stand as we close? This morning, I ask you to think, where in your life is God inviting you to embrace meekness in your soul? Where are you clinging to jealousy, rage, revenge, and you know it is killing you from the inside out? I invite you this morning to release your fretting and to become a person pervaded by love. Trust in Jesus. He longs to show us the path to abundant peace that is available only in him as we surrender our lives to him, that he would be our sure foundation. Let's pray. And so, Father, this morning, by your spirit, make us people of meekness. Remind us of Jesus, of his meekness for us, the depths he would go to forgive us, And make us a community pervaded by love, sent out as your church to show another way to live that is truly blessed. 
and is found only in Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen.